listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode in our Ask an Investor series. So today, our guest just closed on a second house hack, and he's got some questions on what to do next and how to scale his business and potentially loop in some more investing strategies into his house hacking strategy. So it'll be a great episode. And my co-host is Jenny Bayless. Jenny, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Chris? Uh, doing really good. I'm excited to get into this episode with our guest, Kevin Maine. And Kevin, this is, uh, I think, your second or third time on the podcast now, but some house hack masterminds. Um, so some people may recognize you, but uh, how are you? And give everyone a quick background about yourself. Yeah, I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, it's great to be here again with you and Jenny. Um, and yeah, I uh, like you said, I just closed on my second house hack. So my first one I got in July of 2020 and then closed September 1st of 2021 on the second one. Uh, and now I've, I've really, you know, kind of fallen in love, I guess, with real estate investing. I think it's, it's such a powerful tool. Like I, I try to preach to everybody, like how amazing, especially yeah. the house hack strategy can be. Um, but now I, I think, you know, I'm kind of at this inflection point where I would like to continue and really try to aggressively grow my portfolio you know, in the near term without having to wait another year to do a house hack again um, and kind of branch out from that type of investing. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I would love to talk about today is kind of some of those other strategies and avenues uh, and how to make that leap and get comfortable with kind of breaking into more of the, the traditional, you know, real estate investing all right. Well, I mean, let's let's jump into it. where where do you want to start specifically? Like, give us like what's on the top of your mind. So, I've always been interested in like the rehab. So, it, you know, flips, um, but even more specifically, like the burrs, right? Because I've I've always wanted to buy and hold. Like that's kind of my goal. I would I would love to have these properties for a really long time and be able to get into things uh, at a at a good deal and just watch them appreciate. So that's kind of, you know, my first question, I guess, for you guys would be what is the market allowing in Denver for those type of deals? I mean, is that is that something that's feasible right now to do in Denver? Or is it more of a flip and just take your profits and then then go invest from there? Um I mean, it's all feasible. Um, it's 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 difficult. Same reason because of the seller's market right now. So, like, is is your preference a flip or a burr? Like, if what's the number one priority? Your preference? It would be a burr. Yep. Okay. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so those are harder to find right now, as a lot of products are right now. And you know, I don't actively burr right now. It's just very competitive and a lot of clients don't do right now because it's very hard to do. Um, so it does come down to understanding the market. And in my mind, it also comes down to, you know, um, how much time to spend on there and also understanding where we're at the current market. So market conditions, your ability, your skills. And Jenny, I mean, I know you completed a couple of rehabs. Before we get into more specifics on Denver, I want to kind of loop in, take a bigger step back because market's one component on there. What would you say to like help identify the different areas to start attacking what the best strategy is? Yeah. So um, I would say first and foremost, um, it's been really hard this year to budget for, for rehabs. Um, and then kind of, you know, backing up, I like the burst strategy more because it's more forgiving um, because it is a rental property. And as we know, rental properties are forgiving if you make mistakes, meaning that you're going to hold on to it for a, a long period of time that you can kind of recoup uh, those mistakes doing it that way. But I agree with what Chris said in the, the sense that, you know, as a former Burr or myself, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, this market that we're in right now is just not conducive unless you are hitting the pavement every day trying to find um, a, a property that would allow you to buy in at a lower 
acquisition costs that would make sense for it to be a burr. Um, so I think that's kind of like the key component. So not having a lot of control on being able to buy something at a price that makes it make sense to be a burr. And then also not having a lot of control on the rehab piece. Um, you know, that could be a, a personal problem, <laughs> a personal issue that I'm having. Just, you know, maybe uh, maybe I've lost my touch on that, but uh, just materials and labor costs have have grown a lot. So those two components are making it rather hard um, in, in this environment to burn, in my opinion. So kind of what I've been doing is just purchasing solid properties with a reasonable expectation that should the market continue to increase at a at, at an average rate of appreciation, not what we've seen this past year in a couple of years, you know, to start to re-leverage those properties. Right. Right. And that's kind of what I was thinking. So it's good to, to hear that from you guys. Cause I mean, yeah, it just seems tough, especially to be able to refinance and like pull your money out right now, because it's just going to be too tight. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I would almost wonder like if, if it's possible to do flips and what the margins would be on like on something like that, but just to gain the experience and then depending on what the market does in a year or two, um, but at least learning how to do a rehab, because again, like personally, I, I've never done that before. Like both of the house hacks that I bought were fairly turnkey, you know, it was like very minor things that were getting fixed, but I've never had to manage even, kind of larger cosmetic upgrades or uh, fixer uppers, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that would be another thing is like, how would you recommend kind of gaining, I guess, the knowledge and experience outside of, you know, reading articles and books and listening to podcasts, you know, that I, I know there's a series about doing flips and stuff that you've done, Chris. Um, but it's definitely, there's still a big hurdle to oh, yeah. make the leap yourself and, and say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take the risk and hopefully try to mitigate that as much as possible. Um, and understanding that there's going to be a learning curve, but try to try to shorten that as much as possible. So, I mean, yeah, the margins on flips overall getting more and more compressed again, same thing, just supply demand issue, but at the same time, you know, with how strong the market is, it, it can save you from a lot of like self-inflicted issues and it's a great right. buffer for just you know learning curve going through freshman year of college, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like the market is going to, you know, help help ease that pain for you, which is great. Um, so that can just, you know, um, you know, the trend in the market there. So that's a very good thing to keep mm -hmm. in mind. So two things I would focus on here is, you know, definitely start looking for, you know, flip deals, you know, sourcing deals. The other thing, since, you know, when we go from like house hacking to burr and flipping, I consider house hacking really investing, um, where I consider flipping and burr more just a job or, you know, more of a self-employed business. You're self-employed sure. after flipping and, and doing that. So in my mind, I kind of have those separated where house hacking is a pretty like, you know, it's just a pretty simplistic plan. Go out there, buy a property and, you know, the drill mm -hmm. where this is much more of a business. So in addition to looking for properties, I think, you know, amazing way is to go out there and find a mentor or go, you know, work for someone or whether it's just working or you find a deal partner with them. But there's a lot of people out there that are currently doing flips or investing or burring. And if you can add value to them or just be, you know, help somewhere in a paid position or even a free position mm -hmm. like that, I'm a huge proponent of that to where, you know, I've done that myself. I like to get people like that on our team as well. Um, you know, for obviously not flipping, but different niches on there because right. it can be a great win-win situation for you and also the person. But you have to go under the focus of like, hey, how can I make it a win for this person and not just you dragging or sucking information from, you know, him or her. Right. Absolutely. Make a, a great two-way street of value. And so if you can get like some hands-on experience where it's not just like all on you because of flipping a bird, it's, it's a lot to do. Uh, but right. if you can do it and have a partner or, hey, just go, hey, you work for someone or you're an intern for someone, like that right there, you learn a lot, you get in the flow and you're, you're, just, you're just around the space and being around it, you know, that osmosis, so much happens out of there. So I would put that in your radar too. I don't know the time you have, but part of me would say, like, if you're going to spend 15 hours a week knocking on doors and running properties and MLSs, I would rather say, I'd rather put 15 hours into going to work for a flipper for at eight bucks an hour 
to go do something I feel like I'd get a better return on my time. And I say that, you know, I've, I've done variations of both, uh, but also just, you know, scouring MLS and knocking on doors, there's a bunch of the people doing it. So it's very highly competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would lean towards really trying to find a mentor or a job or an internship or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's part no. of strategy. I'm curious though, Jenny, I mean, you, you've done quite a few of these, like, I mean, you've, you've done the investing, you transitioned from your W2 to, you know, a real estate uh, broker. You've made the, you know, that transition as well. Like you've been on kind of both sides of the fences. What are your thoughts on doing something like that? I mean, I think it's a good idea, especially where we're at right now. I'm just personally, I assess kind of the risk of flipping um, and burr like potential pitfalls as higher than uh, what it was when I was doing it. Um, So I think, you know, if I was new into that space, I think what Chris suggested is a, is a really, really good idea just to kind of take some of that risk off of yourself. And then as you've started to, to prove yourself, you can link up with those experienced investors. Sure. Yeah. I mean, building credibility and, and, Knowledge. Yeah. I mean, Jenny, what would you say like some of those pitfalls would be now that are that are present? Yeah. Just the fact that, I mean, I think we're kind of in a space where it's really hard to gauge what's going to happen and when. So like, you know, what Chris was mentioning earlier, just that the market is kind of growing at a rate that it's bailing us out of our mistakes some point i think it's going to plateau so you know there there's that risk that you might not be bailed out if if you do make a mistake on on the flip side of things um for burr like i said that's it's pretty forgiving you know even a partial burr is better than just a straight 20% down investment in most cases. So um, speaking from a flip um, only on the burst side of things, we don't know where interest rates are going to go. So if you're holding on to this property for seasoning period, you know, say six months is what your lender, what your lender needs. You might've underwritten it at, you know, today's rates. And in six months from now, we don't know what the rates are going to be. I don't think anything's going to be drastic. It's just, we're just kind of in this period where, like, I don't know, I'm kind of looking at things like a, a month ahead at a time to just kind of guesstimate stuff like that, even though in the long run, I think everything will be great. It's just when those, you know, big events are, are occurring and, and big events, I mean, like pulling out, you know, your cash uh, and putting a loan on it, that sort of thing. Right. Um, that's just where it kind of gets a little, you know, tricky in my opinion. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty unpredictable times. And I have seen, you know, even just recently over the past two, three weeks, like mortgage rates are starting to go up. And I think that's kind of the plan um, is that interest rates will probably be going up for the near future. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think all of that is really good advice. I mean, I, I've tried to educate myself as much as possible. And again, it's like, I just... I want to do more. And I think that's kind of my goal is to get out of the, the W2 mm-hmm. reliance um, mm-hmm. down the road. You know, I, I would like to at least do one more house hack uh, and have probably three properties that way. Um, but long-term, I mean, my goal is definitely to build like a bigger portfolio. Um, so that's where, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do that quickly I mean, I mean like relatively quickly but when you say relatively quickly what what i mean is that a year five years ten years yeah so i'd like to at least have one other property a year outside like in addition to a house hack right so um and then potentially if they ever start to snowball you know maybe two a year and then three mm-hmm. and, and try to do that for at least like the next five or six years um depending on how it goes. I mean, that's kind of going back to where I'm at in this journey. This is kind of, like I said, it's a, it's a fork in the road where, you know, if this goes really well, it could turn into something great and it could be, you know, could decide I want to do even more or faster, or I might pump the brakes and decide that maybe just stick to the house hacking is, is sufficient. Um, but so, 
I'm having some thoughts kind of pop back in my mind years ago as I was transitioning to real estate, both as, you know, as a, as a business professional and, and an investor, because, you know, my initial thought was go out there and do flips, generate cash. Um, right. And really, you know, to, you know, to, to get properties, simplistic standpoint, find deals that under market so you can burr it or do some type of value add to be in for no money or very little money down or do something that generates cash to go out there and buy properties. So to me, that's very much like one of the things I started, you know, looking back years ago, kind of like one of my forks in the road, so to speak. Like, hey, I can spend a bunch of time and, you know, find, uh, you know, under market value deals or, hey, focus on ways to generate cash flow. And I did a flip, made 20, 25,000 bucks off of there. Really not enjoy it. So I don't want to go that route to generate <laughs> cash because I thought flipping, but in the, the day, whether the cash flow is coming from flipping or me being a realtor or me being a lender or me being something else, it really doesn't matter as long as it's cash flow that I can invest. And I want it to be in the real estate industry, the real estate market, kind of mm-hmm. be synergistic in there. So like that was something I went through. I, I did a flip um, and realized, yeah, I don't want to grow a business like this, grow cash flow. And it hit me like, hey, all I'm looking to do is have cash flow. How can you rent cash flow to invest? So, you know, you can look at investing. I mean, definitely look at investing. You also consider looking at other ways to use a skill set or get into another profession within real estate as well. Um, cause in the day, if you're in the industry and you're making cash flow, what's the matter if it comes from being a broker, a lender, a flipper, um, working as an acquisitions guy for someone like, I mean, in my mind, right. that's how I would, I view it. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, I think that's, that's fair. Cause the other thing is, you know, I can, I can sit here and look at deals all day and run the numbers, but it's still all hypothetical, right? Like, like. <laughs> just because I put it into a spreadsheet and it looks good or bad, you know, that's, that's one decision point. Like, okay, this, this looks good on paper, but without the experience, there's no way to know what I don't know. Right. And mm-hmm. like what, what's exactly. going to happen down the road. It's like, well, this, this seems amazing, but what am I not thinking about what it, what potentially is going to change this whole equation? Um, and how, how bad could it get? It's also the thing that I'm, I'm always wondering, like it, cause I don't want to like throw away everything just cause I messed up on, on like a, a flip that I thought was going to be a great deal and then got in way over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree. You have to, that's kind of what Jenny said a few minutes ago. You have to weigh the risk to reward and you definitely like, you never want to bet the house always. Hey, if it, if it goes sideways, cool. It's just, you know, it's more of a, blow the ego and maybe your timeline but not like oh it's not like monopoly where you go to jail you know it's not like oh my gosh that that's a hard start over to go with um with kind of looking at you know deals and all this stuff have you talked to any hard money lenders have you got no. financing in place whether it's a burr or a flipping right so i I think I had a conversation maybe a year ago with uh, some of those guys, like a couple companies, just to understand some of the structures and you know their points and their their rates and payback periods and all that. Um, but it is it is something that I don't know a lot about. I mean, I, I understand you know the fundamental concept, right? They're going to basically loan you the money, but. Um, you know, what they'll do as far as, uh, like loan to value ratio and how they, they determine that based on, you know, what the purchase price is versus your ARV and all that. Like, I'm not too familiar with, with the nuances of it. Well, a lot of that stuff I think you can just, you know, Google listen to some podcasts and read some course, like you can get like different loan to value, loan to cost structures, mm-hmm. but with hard money lenders, they're all going to have different terms. Like this is not like going to, you know, uh, a Joe Master, Bill Rodriguez, where they've got conventional lending products they're using, which is pretty standard across the board. This right. is pretty much every single hard money lender has different terms, or they're like, "Oh, you want to do this instead? Oh, we can make that work." Like, you know, right. no money out, diff- different valuations. So, you know, learn the basics of terminology. That can just be a couple podcasts or you know, YouTube University, and then talk to a bunch of hard money lenders. But then, I mean, before you spend any more time looking on deals. You got to get the financing in place because if you're looking at deals without financing in place, to be very frank, I think it's a waste of time. Like right. I would not do that because like you're looking at deals and then if you see when that pops up, um, you're not going to be able to move on time. 
Um, but if you don't have them in place, I, in my mind, you're just kind of like, you're not really committed. So I would talk to Harmony Lenders. I'd make that like a number one priority and let them underwrite your, your personal financial statement, your resources. Plus they're great. You know, they have their fingers on the pulse for fix and flips uh, because right. they're lending those guys money. And so you can build, pick their brains as well. Um, build relationships might lead to other opportunities, but you know, get pre-approved to them. And if, you know, Burr is on there, Hey, talk to them and then go talk to their lenders that can do the conventional takeout piece for long-term and, and talk those conversations. Like if you want to, if that stuff's reality, get the financing in place first. And I would spend almost no time looking at deals right now to have like the financing in place and just, you know, that's a reality check as well. Right. Right. Well, and to that point, I mean, I, I guess it would be hard to kind of underwrite the deals in general if you don't really know what the terms of your financing are going to be. I mean, it'd be a, a complete assumption, which isn't the best way to run <laughs> your numbers and projections and everything. Um, so, yeah, no, that's I think that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Um, and, and I kind of see hard money lenders as somewhat of a safety net, just in the fact mm -hmm. that they're not going to lend to you if they think the deal is junk. Um, right. If they don't think that they're going to get all their money back, they're going to say no. So I think, you know, that, that to me was when I was first starting off doing burrs um, and I, I made the, the uh, fatal error of not getting my takeout financing um, and, you know, in line with my hard money lending. So like what Chris said, make sure you do that. Um, but yeah, just kind of, if the hard money lender blessed it, I said, okay, well maybe I'm onto something here. Um, because right. I know that they wouldn't give me all this money if they didn't think I was going to be able to pay it back. Right. So that's how Jenny, you were doing your burrs and flips. You were using hard money and then for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just con conventional financing after that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. Um, I, I would be curious too, you know, like Chris, Jenny, your clients that come in, what percentage of them, you know, that are maybe doing this more on the side and aren't necessarily, you know, looking to start a business or, or be in real estate full time, but they want to be involved in investing like outside of house hack is the majority of that people that are coming and just saying, Hey, I have, you know, a bunch of cash saved up already and I want kind of a turnkey property just to, to hold for a really long time? Or are there other kind of creative ways to get involved uh, with more investing? That's um, actually, yeah, great question. Me or you, Jenny? I, I can take it for, for Colorado yeah. Springs at least. So we actually don't have a lot of house hackers down here. So, you know, shout out to anyone who wants to house hack, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we, we've only had a, a handful, but you know, Colorado Springs does have a good opportunity for that. So a lot of our clients are out of state or Denver, um, uh, located people for the most part. And like you said, they just, I would say a good portion of them um, just want to diversify their investments. You know, they have a, a good W-2, they're invested in stocks, they want to invest in just a solid property, um, usually turnkey, turnkey-ish um, on the real estate side of things. We do have a couple of clients that, you know, want to eventually make that move to a full-time real estate professional and in, in a, a myriad of different ways, you know, whether it be just a, a landlord or whether they have, you know, an active uh, part of real estate coupled with their investment properties. So we kind of have a, a broad spectrum of people down here. But um, I would say in terms of, you know, I, I would say for the most part, people are just looking for more of that turnkey product, um, at least this year. Right. And to add on top of that, because and I'd say to get more in the strategy is, yeah, a lot of the, the other clients there, they have a job, they have a business, you know, they're busy with work and family and personal life. And they're looking to just, you know, invest capital in the real estate. And they're very, I would say, focused on writing trends. And so that's just simply buy and hold and, and ride the growth and in five or seven years reposition it. Other people mm -hmm. are looking for more like, I'll say medium term value add properties. I know so many people are focused on like the 90 day burr, but if you take into opportunities where you, you take the, you know, the high market appreciation, appreciation we have, 
with some like slower market or some slower value add opportunities, um, there's a lot of potential there. Two come to my mind on there. One's a single family home, but, you know, townhome, house, whatever, but a single family residence, buy that in tra- transition area in town. In Denver, you know, that's, you know, uh, west of Sheridan, you know, along 70, you know, just different pockets there, just beyond one or two areas that have already turned or in that next path of progress. Because the market's going to already carry you up, but that should be an extra little gasoline on the fire to bring it up some. And then get a place where there's opportunity to maybe add two bedrooms in the basement and a bathroom. Uh, or to go in there and, hey, it was last touch of the 1980s, and go in there and remodel it. And you can either go in there and increase rents and then take it from a two or three bedroom to a five bedroom, and that increases the value, or potentially go out there and run it room by room on a house hack, get some great cash flow. Um, and if you do that, you can pull out some money in potentially two or three years. You know, as the market appreciates, you add value and the extra stuff from that that micro neighborhood uh, path of progress type of stuff. Um, pull out equity um, from that standpoint, or in some situations, do a delayed flip. Go in there, do a full remodel, and then sell it off. If that area is popping with you know million dollar duplexes all over the place, great, sell right. it off to high end uh, consumer, and then take that money elsewhere. So, a lot of clients have that more shorter or that medium term focused on. They were like, "Hey, I can spend some time doing it, but you know they can get their capital working for them. It does take more capital, um, right. but it's a, a good balance between hey, some capital, a person's time, and just adapting to the market." Because the one thing we're not going to change the market, but we can change what you're doing and has to mold to the market. The other is like, you know, multifamilies. Um, you know, and this is where it gets very interesting for rentals is, you know, hey, buy a multifamily. And again, you're probably going to be in that 25, 30% down range, percent mm-hmm. down. It does take capital, but you can always find a debt partner or partner help with a down payment. But for example, we had a client, he bought a six unit or seven unit in Aurora, North Aurora. Fifth, uh, probably about 18 months ago now, right after the pandemic started, six unit, 850 some thousand dollars. Um, wow. Went in there, remodeled some stuff, turned a two bedroom to a three bedroom, put in more efficient utilities and lighting and water flows, just did you know, some basic stuff. Um, and then just recently got reappraised for $1.7 million and taking capital wow. back out. So <laughs> obviously that, that's, that's a really great story. Um, yeah. But that's an example where, like, if you take in what's going on with the market, you know, both in appreciation and rents, I think that medium term type activity is a really great sweet spot where you can get some great returns with, you know, a lot less work than trying to find a burr to do 90 days in. But it does take capital. Um, right. And that's where, if you have the capital, great. But I, I, that's where a lot of investors are doing to more, the more active ones. And the more people like, hey, I'm just going to buy a place. And when the market does its thing, and Three years, five years, ten years, I'll refinance or sell and trade up. Yeah. Right. I know Chris and I just did a presentation on return on equity. Um, and so, you know, the the two key options are re-leverage your property and buy something new or sell it and buy something new and better. Um, right. so I think that just having that little bit of patience and like Chris said, letting the market do its thing, it's it's very interesting how powerful that can be. Um, you know, like I, I had several properties that I've bird, you know, years ago. Uh, I thought I was done with the financing piece of that. And, you know, now I'm like, Hey, maybe I might re-leverage them again, get some lower interest rate on, on here, take out some, some cash and, and reinvest that while the rates are still really low. Um, right. so I think, you know, just, it's amazing how fast it compounds. Yeah. And that's what, again, I mean, I mean, time is such a powerful thing, especially when you're talking about returns and investing, um, which is a big reason why I want to, you know, really try to accelerate what I'm doing right now. And I, and I think Chris, what you were saying about value add opportunities, um, was really good because, you know, I, I think even myself, I think of flips and burrs and a lot of times in my mind, I'm thinking like a full read, like, like a house that's a, you know, rough, rough shape. And you basically come in and like take it into something nice and then either sell it or refinance. But there are a lot of other ways to add value to properties that aren't necessarily, you know, buying some rundown property that's needs a bunch of fixing up. Um, 
So I think that's, that's something that I should probably consider more and look at those type of value adds rather than tackling like a full rehab of a property that's in really rough shape. Uh, yeah. And, and in the meanwhile, you can raise your rents. Um, so we have a couple investors now down here that they do not live in the property, but they rent out rooms individually and their cash flow is like amazing. Um, so I don't know if they're kind of medium term holds. I'm not really sure what, the, what their intent is, but since they've, you know, made the, be- made the homes into five bedroom homes and now they're sitting there collecting a lot more cash flow because they've optimized the performance of that property as a rental property. And then when they go to sell it, like Chris said, they, they added a bedroom that's more interesting to a lot of buyers. So they've added right. value that way. And that's, yeah, sparks another thought there too, is just, um, you know, looking at what's working in the market and seeing I can tap into it, the room by room rental strategy um, and medium and short term rentals. Now, again, those are more intensive, but at the same time, I would rather personally spend time doing Airbnb or managing a room by room rental than would be knocking on doors to source deals. Because uh, I, yeah. I know I would get a better return on my time on running Airbnb than that versus, you know, just knocking on doors all the time. So, you know, if you can incorporate that into any of your current properties, that might be a way to increase cash flow, which then just, you know, adds money in the pot to go out there and buy more properties. Or the next property you buy, whether it's a, a burr or a rental or whatever it is, if you can look at those strategies for a house hack, I'm sorry, a room by room rental. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, go buy a three bedroom house, add two or three bedrooms and a, a wet bar and a bathroom to in the basement. And you can be, right. you know, having $2,000 a month in cash flow and then just force some appreciation there as well. So if you combine some of those cash flow strategies, that will help with just getting more cash to go out there and buy properties. Because at the end of the day, the more cash you have, the easier it is to do deals anyway. So I would be looking to optimize right. that, you know, as just looking back since you're in that, you know, uh, you know, moving on like intermediate stage of investing where you got a couple under your belt, you know, a lot more, you're having success. I, you know, get more proactive on there, just to increase the cash flow. So you have more capital deploy. I, I try to incorporate that into any rentals you have currently and future rentals as well. Yeah. That's, that's a really great idea because also you'd be buying the property now I'd rather buy a property now than hope in but in the next six months I'd find something by door knocking or cold calling or anything like that. Um, and you're able to manage it, kind of work out the bugs as you're as you're doing it to be able to redeploy that. So it's less risky, but it's still very educational. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, both of mine right now are kind of they're over under duplexes. So like they I guess the people that I bought them from probably thought along those same lines, <laughs> working to, to upgrade their their rents and everything. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think figuring out the financing and seeing, you know, and thinking about those other value adds opportunities would be really, really good. Um, I mean, the Airbnb stuff, I think is amazing. I mean, you know, my girlfriend does that with her, uh, house hack that she has. And, you know, we've, I've talked to Ben a lot about that as well, because we're actually neighbors now. So we've, we've had a lot of time to talk about it, but it's always hard, you know, around Denver, especially to know what the regulations are going to be. And that's kind of another unknown sometimes, because I know, you know, Denver County's totally banded as far as, for investment properties. Um, and I think some of the Metro area is starting to consider that. I mean, I think places all over the country are starting to consider that. Um, so I don't know how much of a risk you would view that as, I mean, the, I would view it as a pretty low risk. I mean, like things will change. Um, I've seen Denver, you know, you got the primary residence rule for short-term rentals, so don't break it. Um, either mm-hmm. go outside of Denver or do a medium term rental. Um, right. But then there are places like Arvada and Wheat Ridge, um, unincorporated Jeffco. They have favorable Airbnb laws. Centennial has none, um, or I'd say none, but they're way more lax than Denver. So there's lots of pockets around the metro area where Airbnb does work. And some places like Arvada, they are 
they specifically allow it. And so you've been grandfathered in. So like, I think those areas are low risk because, hey, if it starts to change, it often takes, you know, months to a couple of years for it to go into effect. Sure. And then make sure you have a plan B. Okay, switch to medium-term rental. Switch to long-term rental. Or, hey, if you buy a place and then three years it happens, all right, sell it and take the money elsewhere. Like, it can happen. Just make sure you have a plan B in place to, like, mitigate. Like, oh, rather than it making me $3,000 a month in cash flow, my worst case is long-term. And, okay, I make a couple bucks that way and I'll figure out another plan. But right. to me, that's, you know, I'd rather do that play and take that risk right now then go out there and try to find an off-market for a property. When I look at all just the overall risk, time commitment, and just trends in the market, um, I'd rather I'd rather go the Airbnb route with the potential that the legislation can change. Just like it did in Colorado Springs a year ago, or <laughs> yep. a year and a half ago, that was the haven, and now it's no longer the haven. Mm-hmm. So we're <laughs> right. just finding other ways, you know, more hands-on, but ways that investors can cash flow. And yeah, just pivoting as the market you know, throws things at you. Yeah. I mean, Colorado Springs has been, that is, that is growing like crazy. It seems like, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I have some friends that live down there and I mean, it's really blown up. Um, and then even, I mean, wh- Jenny, I don't know how familiar you are with, you know, like Pueblo. Cause this is, this is the other thing I've thought about, right. It's like Denver's expensive. I mean, for, you know, for me that it's, it's an expensive place. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, so I've thought about how far you would need to go to kind of lower the price point. Um, and I have some friends that have invested in Pueblo like five or six years ago and they are, they've done well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it still seems like there's, there's some much cheaper deals, but obviously then you're, you know, three hours away if you were going to do any sort of rehab and like, you're not going to be you, able to check on it daily. So yeah, let me ask you this, Kevin, or sorry, I was in a, I want to ask oh. one question first. Like what, what's the cap we have of the ploy? Because so, back there for price point. Yeah. I mean, probably right now, like anywhere between 25 to 50,000, I think okay. I could scrape together. I mean, that, that would be, you know, pulling a lot of, out of some other liquid investments yeah. that I have and everything. Um, and, and the balance there too, is I'm still trying to save up for another primary within a year. Right. So it's kind of a, a balancing act, but that, uh, let's say, you know, 30 to 40,000 of capital right now. Yes. Okay. So I think Pueblo is a really interesting point that you break that you brought up because um, just yesterday, Leah and I were approached by um, a client of hers that found a property and he said, hey guys, can you check that this one would burr? So we ran through the numbers and I said, yeah, sure enough, it is a partial burr. Um, should everything go according to plan, we budgeted the ARV on the low side. Leah thinks that it will actually be a, a good chunk higher. Um, and considering all of that, he's, he would be all in for, um, $10,000 cash out of pocket for, um, wow. a perform- a, like a five or six cap. And, um, you know, we figured that he would be out $40,000 if he had to put 20% down on, you know, traditionally, uh, financing it. So $10,000 out of pocket for a, you know, five, six cap. Um, I would take that. That's pretty good. Um, so I haven't checked in with her to see, uh, you know, if they're going to move forward with it, but you know, definitely there, this is a MLS deal too. So, um, there's a lot more opportunity, but like you said, now you have a three hour drive, um, down there. Right. Right. Yeah. Just the lower price point doesn't necessarily reduce your risk, but it kind of does reduce your risk. Um, assuming that you treat every burr the same, whether it be Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, if you're only all in at a hundred something thousand, as opposed to, you know, Colorado Springs, now we're looking in the three hundreds. I don't even know what it is in Denver, probably, you know, four or 500. That's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of risk. Um, (laughs) so I could swallow a hundred thousand dollar loss more than I could a half million dollar loss. Uh, not that I'm, advocating, you know, going in (laughs) willy nilly and, you know, just doing it, but, you know, going in it methodically, uh, I would rather practice on a, on a lower price point. Yeah. That's, that was kind of what I was thinking as well. Um, I don't know, have you had experience, either of you, you know, investing in 
kind of out of town areas. I mean, you know, it's this isn't like across the country or anything, but it's still not not next door. Jenny does. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have invested out of state, did not have a good experience with that. Um, but when I started investing in Colorado Springs, I was living in Parker for like four years that I invested there. So, you know, it was an hour away. It was just enough time to be annoying that I didn't want to drive down there if I didn't have to. Um, Mm -hmm. but close enough that, you know, uh, when we had, you know, like a sewer emergency one time, I was able to drive down and, and take a look at that. So, um, I mean, I, I think three hours in the grand scheme of things, that is a lot of time, but if it allows you to have eyes on a property, that's so much more valuable than going to a different state. Yeah. I, I would not go out of state in your situation, Kevin. I mean, just in general, like, Hey, look to Pueblo for a lower price point, get your capital working for you. Just because, you know, hey, the sooner your money is in the market, the better. You know, it's assuming, right. hey, we all believe the market's going to keep going up in rent and prices. Get your money in the market. Pueblo and Denver, Color Springs, just buy a place and ride the wave. They're all going to have it. But I would not do it at the expense of you saving up for house act number three. Um, just because that's such an efficient use of capital. So I would, you know, balance the two. Um, look in lower price market like Pueblo and then plan for your house act and number three, because you still get, you're gonna get the best leverage that way. And it's the simplest, you know, from a time perspective and deal perspective. Right. Right. And that's, I mean, I'm a huge believer in leverage if used responsibly. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. The, the <laughs> most, the most powerful thing you can do in it in real estate. I think it's, I mean, that's what, what I, I love about it so much is like, you know, I, you know, the other thing is I start, I was a fly fishing guide for, you know, years and years like i got into my first house hack without much money at all i mean it's and now just being able to see kind of how much that's grown over the last year year and a half which i mean it's somewhat of an anomaly i know this last year has been like outstanding (laughs) compared to average but i think you know denver is such an amazing place colorado in general like colorado springs even pueblo up north fort collins all of that I, i just think I'm okay, you know, trying to be as leveraged as I can be in this market to see, you know, to, to try and boost those returns as much as possible. Um, so that's, yeah, Chris, I mean, the house hack is like a no brainer, I think. So that's definitely number one priority, but just seeing what's possible makes me want to get into something else also and just like have as many of those working as possible. And that right there, I mean, taking a step back, this is, you know, that kind of leads in like, you know, very good perspective. Hey, in two years, you know, your, you know, your, your net worth, real estate experience has gone dramatically. And that's one thing as kind of wrap up here, I'd say for you and other people keep in mind is, you know, have that perspective and just be patient. It's, it's a lot Mm -hmm. harder to get rich quick in real estate in a couple of years. But if you can do, you know, over a 10 to 20 year period, it's a lot easier. Um, I mean, again, house hacking isn't really cool or sexy, you know, doesn't make cool clickbait headlines, but you do it a few times and and (laughs) let let the market do its thing and compound, like it produces a lot of wealth. So doing that basic stuff, like always stick the fundamentals, you know, while you're out there pursuing the opportunities and just, you know, be patient, let the market do its thing as well, because, hey, in 10 years, you got three or four house hacks that appreciated, well, you're probably going to be sitting on half a million, three quarters million dollars in equity. Mm-hmm. That's the major money right there to go tap into and go out there and buy a building in Pueblo or a building in Denver or a building out of state or something, you know, like that's where it can really then have a huge dramatic leap up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's part of my strategy as well is like waiting until I can, you know, basically double down on those properties to either upgrade into, into something else or, you know, be able to take a HELOC out, but use those assets to hopefully purchase more assets. Um, but you know, I, I'm not quite there yet where that's an option. So, but it, you know, in my mind, it's like it, the more properties that you can have, like gives you more of those options to then do that in the future. So that's why it's like, if I can get, get another one this year, that isn't a primary, that would be, that would be ideal. So 
what other we got a few minutes left in there like kind of final questions or details you know wrap up or ask to wrap up uh well jenny i'd be curious to hear a little more about that story on your out of state investing experience? <laughs> um, I think it all boils down to, I am a bit of a control freak and I probably didn't uh, uncover this until I got into the mix on everything. And, you know, properties aren't being managed the way that I wanted them to be. Um, you know, it turns out they weren't as good as I thought that they were going to be based on paper, uh, similar to our, our conversation that we had prior to the podcast, you know, paper profits do not equal actual profits. Um, right. and kind of took a step back and just said, you know, what, what is it that I want? And I, I decided that, you know, even though Colorado is, you know, has more expensive markets than where I was at, it would be a little harder to accumulate properties as fast as I was, you know, being able to out of state. They just offered me kind of more hands-on, eyes-on, you know, scenarios. And then also um, I felt like the economy was strong enough to, to, you know, make me a little bit more at ease that this is a super solid investment, even if I can only, you know, procure a, a fraction of what I could out of state. Right. Did you have, you know, like partners where you were investing or were you doing this on your own in a place that was far away? Uh, we had property managers, but that was, that was about it. Got it. Yeah. So I think that if, you know, things were different, if I had, you know, a, a close family member or something, you know, to be able to act a hundred percent in my best interest, I think things I might feel differently, but um, that's not how how they turned out. So we kind of just pivoted to, to match what it was that we wanted to get out of our real estate investments and haven't looked back since I'm, I'm very happy with kind of that pivot. That's great. Yeah. All right. So I always like to, uh, end with like a, an action plan. So <laughs> we've asked some questions. We have completely bounced around different ideas. What's the action plan for me? Like next 90 days, what's the action plan? And I asked uh, this because we're Q3. I'm like, oh, crap. I got set goals for next year. And I'm all back in like action plans. Right. So what's the right. action plan off of this? Well, so I think first is going to be to talk to some hard money lenders. I mean, get a full understanding of what that financing looks like um, and see what that cost would be. Uh, and then, you know, look at some deals maybe down in Pueblo or Colorado Springs even um, that potentially have that medium term potential rather than a true, you know, like rehab fix and flip or burr and just start, start thinking more about that strategy, the medium term, you know, like add a couple rooms, finish a basement, yeah. update something like that um, and see, see if I can make the numbers work on that. Um, so I guess Chris, to answer that in a more concrete way with numbers and, and true goals, um, in a year from now, I'd like to have one true investment property and then worry about the house, house hack on the side. But yeah, that's that's my goal. By, uh, by September of next year to have at least one more property that, that is not a primary residence or never has been. Great. Sounds good. Yeah. And I would suggest writing down the action plan, set deadlines to it. I'm doing that myself yeah. and with a bunch of team members, um, you know, set deadlines for that 90 day sprint to long-term stuff. Mm -hmm. And since we're talking goals, are you planning <laughs> on contributing in the 2022 investing guidebook? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I think I, I would love to, cause I, I mean, First of all, you and your team have been amazing. Like I, I've learned so much over the last year just from the content and the conversations that I've had uh, with you guys. So Good. number one, I'm really grateful. And it's been a huge part of my journey and like keeping me interested and passionate and believing that it's achievable. And I, I think that's, you know, this, this is kind of a sidebar here, but I, I think that's the biggest thing that I like to tell people is like, this is achievable. Like you can do this in some form or another, especially through house hacking. Like 
you don't have to have a ton of money or like, you know, be making, you know, six figures or all this to, to get your foot in the door. Like it's, it's more realistic, I think, than people realize. Um, and again, like the, the opportunity to build wealth and like financial security, even if it's not going to be your job or replace your W2 income, but like it can truly be life-changing. Like I, I believe that very, very strongly that it can be life-changing if you just take the time to figure out how to make it work for you. So I so, completely agree. I think that, that was a really good statement. So yes, Chris, I, I will. We, we could talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> Good. Well, I think an email blast went out this morning because I know that was on our Monday marketing call. So you should have an email blast from our newsletter. Uh, submissions are due January 14th. Perfect. I think was, right around the middle of January, give or take a day or two. Uh, but awesome. yes, um, start. I want to plant the seed there. Time to get those submissions. And again, help people be held accountable. Uh, and it's amazing networking. Like It just helps explore things. Mm-hmm. So I guess, Jenny, you'll get Lee looped in to do some Pueblo searches and market research. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe uh, find a Pueblo house, do some room by room rentals down there and see what those numbers are like. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> that's that's yeah. why I had a cup of coffee for the podcast. So I could, uh, Genius. Of it. <laughs> that's a trick. Um, cool. Well, Kevin, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you coming out. Um, uh, you know, we know it's always, you know, it's very beneficial for the people. Uh, so thank you for kind of sharing your personal details. Um, as we wrap up, what's a great way, and we'll put these in the show notes as well, but just to network with other house hackers, people investing in Pueblo, other people that you can just collaborate with, how can people reach you? Yeah, so probably uh, the best way would be through email. So my email is just Kevin W main at gmail.com. And I think that'll be in the show notes. So yep. um, that would probably be the best way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, also if there's anybody out there that uh, would like to talk about flips and burrs and maybe that has done this before, I, I would love to sit down and buy anyone a cup of coffee that can, you know, is willing to share their time with me and some of their knowledge and potentially talk about uh, getting in, on some deals and, and gaining experience that way. Cause at the end of the day, that's, I, I feel like I'm a sponge right now. Like I just want to learn as much as possible and do whatever I can, you know, to your point, Chris, to, to add value, um, you know, uh, to them as well. So I got yeah, I absolutely am a big believer in win-win situations and, and not just trying to take, uh, from other people, but also give back. Great. Well, Kevin, uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show. And of course, listeners, if you have questions about any of the markets, reach out to me, reach out to Jenny. This is what we love doing. Everyone, have a great day. Bye.